Welcome to Season 5 of the Excel Still More Podcast. I'm still your host, Chris Emerson, and I'm here to encourage you in your walk with the Lord, and I'm glad you've joined. The program continues to be sponsored by Cunningham Financial Group. John is a good friend, and he's helped me and my family in everything from stock and mutual fund investing to annuities, life insurance, and retirement planning. I certainly commend him to you if you have needs in any of those areas. You can reach him at 205 205- 3267364. Thank you again for your ongoing encouragement and support. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to today's episode. Let me get something out on the table at the very beginning. This is not a back to school special episode, but we will definitely be folding that in as part of the discussion. Here in the next couple of weeks, students will be returning or going to school. You may have new teachers, new professors, you will have principals and other authority figures. The grounds upon which you learn will have rules and regulations. And if that's the situation you're going to be in, I have questions. I want to know what your attitude is about that. Are you willing to accept the rules that are placed there? Are you the kind of person always feeling like you are an exception to those rules or they ought to be changed to accommodate your situation? In my experience, following the guidelines given are not difficult if I am humble enough to believe that I belong under those guidelines and that following them is good for me and helpful to everyone else. And so I have a story to share with you from 1996, a really cool one that I hope will connect those ideas for the younger listener and give you the right attitude and optimistic attitude about what is coming. However, as we talk about those authority constructs today, I also want to talk to the adults who will be on the other end of each of those relationships. I mean, taking school out of it, we could just talk about how things are at home. What are the standards of behavior at home? How do young people approach those standards? And then at the same time, I could talk to the parents about the kind of rules you put in place. Why do you choose those rules? Are you stringently applying them or do they change based on circumstances. And like I say, by extension, if you are going to be a teacher, maybe you're a school teacher, maybe a Bible class teacher, you're a principal or a professor, what are your expectations for your students? How do you voice those expectations? And how do you enforce them in a way that is balanced, including both consequences and grace? So we'll get into some of that today, and I hope it's helpful for those on both ends of the authority spectrum and maybe even some principles here that'll be good for anyone, no matter what stage of life you're in. But since I talked about the young people, can I just tell you about last weekend for a minute? It was the best. We had the first, I hope, annual Lindale Youth Weekend. Friday night at the church here, we had a singing maxed out capacity in the building. Saturday all day, we had over 200 young people engage in a series of Bible studies, vibrant singing, and just really had a good time together. We call the weekend the 412 Youth Weekend based on 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. And we went through that verse up and down throughout the weekend, and it's the first section of that verse that I want to talk to you about today. On Sunday morning of the series, a friend of mine, Reuben, and I got to sit in two chairs and conduct a Bible class. All the young people sat in the front of the auditorium with their parents and grandparents behind them, and we looked at the verse and focused in on this phrase, let no one look down on your youthfulness. 
in the context, the Apostle Paul is talking to this young preacher, Timothy, who has lots of gifts and abilities, and God is with him, and he can live this greatly enriched life, but he needs to be careful. Because of his age, there are people who will hold him to standards that are not fair or appropriate. There are those who will say that because he is young, he cannot do this work, he cannot do it well, he shouldn't be listened to. There's this lowering of the bar, and he's saying, Timothy, don't live down to that bar. This is not some race to the bottom of underachieving where you see what comes first. They are disappointed in you when you tried your hardest or you didn't try your hardest and led them to be disappointed. We talked a bit about the attitude that some people have who look down on the young and don't see what God might be doing, but for that class, the impetus was on the young to understand that what God wants you to do, and this is a part of the verse, is mind your speech and your conduct, your love and your faith and your purity, and be a good example of what a believer is and encourage other believers. The truth is, in our country, it is hard for kids to be great, in my opinion, because I think the standards are very, very low. If you Google the word teenager, it will fill in all of these negative things like teenagers and overdose or teenagers and failing rate or teen pregnancy. You'll rarely Google the word teenager and have it talk about high achievers or educational goals surpassed or any of the wonderful things that most of our young people are capable of. I almost think it just gets taken for granted that young people, particularly teenagers, will not be able to be responsible for much. You will give them rules, and they will probably break them, and that's just the way it is. Well, that is not just the way it is, especially for young people who have determined to be Christians. You belong to Christ now, like you are under the great leader and subject yourself to his standards. We want our young people to meet and surpass their greatest potential for their own good because they've been gifted to do so and because it builds for them a life that can do wonderful things for God. There was this great book, I've talked about it in years past, Do Hard Things, came out maybe 15 years ago by this young set of twin brothers, the Harris brothers, and they started this revolution movement, rebelling against low expectations. And that's part of the challenge today for our young people to rebel against the fact that some people do look down on you and do not think that you are capable. But with a spirit of faith and an understanding of who you are in Christ, you are capable of incredible things. Reuben and I also got to talk to the parents. I'm convinced that sometimes parents are a part of the underachieving problem for their young people, and this goes up into their youth being even in their 20s or 30s. Sometimes parents make excuses for their kids, they bend the rules for their kids, they really tell them that, look, this is what you're supposed to do, and this is what you need to do, but if you don't do it, it's fine, you know, we'll just kind of deal with that. And I think there are real problems with that. Number one is, that's not really the way God is, and I think we're supposed to be training our young people to grow up and move out and start families and honor God. You don't want the last thing you tell your teen when they move out at 19 is like, Hey, all the way that we just kind of ignored stuff and bended everything, God's not going to do any of that, so change. So as we get into the story and illustration today, keep in mind that parents, even more than teachers and officials, need to implement the kind of standards and hold to them the things that they believe are good for their kids. However, as with just about everything, there are extremes, and the opposite end of the pendulum swing is not good either, where parents, sometimes Christian parents, hold their young people to impossible standards. They have to be nearly 
perfect in order to be affirmed. And if they fall short of some rule or they make a mistake, they get these severe and unrelenting punishments. To that teacher or parent, I would say, is that the way God is with you? Aren't you thankful that's not the way God is with you? That he appreciates your effort? That he sees when you're trying hard, when you do respect the rules, but you're just having difficulty keeping them? Aren't you glad he's so full of compassion? I think more people need to understand that you can have grace towards others in their failures without saying, well, the rules don't matter. In fact, I think people would be more adept to accept that the rules do matter and they shouldn't be changed if they knew that their effort to keep them meant something. So now I'm just straight up preaching at this point, but I mentioned in that class, in that auditorium on Sunday, that I think in more counseling with 20-somethings who were raised in the church, I spend less time telling them, look, the standards your parents had for you were just too low, and you need to own the fact that you're capable of more. And it seems like I'm more often saying, look, your parents' rules were right, but they didn't have grace, and God's full of mercy and grace. Because I think there are just as many kids leaving the faith because there was no grace as those who are simply unable to follow the faith because the rules were not substantial enough. And of course, in the end, we want to look at God's law in particular in a way that remedies both of those problems. Okay, I just used half the episode on the introduction, but I think maybe we fleshed out some things so that you will immediately see the application of this really neat event that happened at a big coaching conference, baseball conference, back in 1996. So it was in Nashville, and 4,000 baseball coaches had shown up. A lot of students and players had come. It was like the 52nd annual American Baseball Conference Convention. And there was one particular guy there that everybody wanted to hear. His name was John Scalinos. He was 78 years old at the time, He'd had this great college coaching career that began in like 1948, and so he shuffles out onto the stage to give a speech. So the first thing everyone notices is he's got this home plate, like full-sized baseball home plate, laying there on his chest attached to a string around his neck. For something like 25 minutes, he doesn't even bring it up. He just talks about every other thing, tells old coaching stories. So then he finally says, you're probably all wondering why I'm wearing home plate around my neck. I may be old, but I'm not crazy. The reason I stand before you today is to share with you baseball people what I've learned in my life, what I've learned about home plate in my 78 years. So from there, he asks a pretty simple question. He says, do you know how wide home plate is in Little League? After a pause, someone said 17 inches. And he said, that's right. He said, how about back in Babe Ruth's day? Any Babe Ruth coaches in the house? And they all laugh and stuff. How wide was the plate? They said 17 inches. He said, okay, how many high school coaches do we have in the room? A whole bunch of people raised their hand. How wide is home plate in high school baseball? 17 inches, they said. You're right. Hey, you college coaches, how wide is home plate in college? 17 inches, they said in unison. Any minor league coaches here? How wide is home plate in pro ball? 17 inches. What about in the major leagues? Is it the same? Yep, they said, 17 inches. So here's where he goes with that. He says, all right, everybody, what do you do with a big league pitcher who can't throw the ball over the 17-inch plate? He says, well, here's what you don't do. You don't say, hey, that's okay, Jimmy. If you can't hit a 17-inch target, that's not a problem. We'll make it 18 inches or maybe even 19 inches. 
We'll make this thing 20 inches wide so you have a better chance of hitting it. If you still can't get the ball over the plate, we'll widen this thing out to 25 inches. Now, of course, everyone listening realizes how ridiculous that is. You can't just change the standard of all baseball that's been set up for 150 years just because one guy can't get it over the plate. So from there, he starts to make some pretty interesting applications. He says, coaches, what do you do when your best player shows up late to practice? Or when our team rules forbid facial hair and a guy shows up unshaven? What if he gets caught drinking? Do we hold him accountable? Or do we change the rules to fit him? Do we widen home plate? At that point, the crowd kind of settled down and leaned in and really started listening. He turned the white plate around where they couldn't see it and he started drawing on it. And then he turned it back around to reveal a pretty rudimentary picture of a house with a door and two windows. And he said, this is the problem in our homes today, with our marriages, with the way we parent our kids, with our discipline. We don't teach accountability to our kids, and there's no consequence for failing to meet the standards. We just widen the plate. Then he reaches down with his marker, and he draws a little American flag at the top of the house. He said, this is the problem in our schools today. The quality of education is going downhill fast, and teachers have been stripped of the tools they need to be successful and to educate and discipline our young people. We're allowing others to widen the plate. Where's that getting us? At this point, everyone in the room is dead silent. He erases that flag, and he draws a cross, and he says, this is the problem in the church. And he went on to say, powerful people in positions of authority have taken advantage of young children only to have such an atrocity swept under the rug for years. Our church leaders are widening home plate for themselves, and we allow it. Now, let me pause there a second to make sure you understand what he's saying. And this is why I set up the episode like I did. This isn't just about our kids. It's not about, hey, parents and teachers, set the rules for your young people and hold to them. I mean, I think that is a good point. If the rules are set well, in spiritual things, it has to be what God said. God sets the 17 inches. But sometimes in homes and school systems, rules are set. We certainly aren't doing them any favors by telling them that variance from that is acceptable behavior. But do you see the little shift he made when he talked about the church? He didn't talk about the people sitting in the pews. He talked about the priests, the authorities, the people who are bending the rules for themselves, the people who say, this is how God would have you be, to be moral and kind, and then in private, they're not being that way. And so we see two different but related mistakes, where we widen the plate to accommodate those under our authority, thereby lowering the bar and keeping them from meeting their full potential and also understanding God better. And then sometimes those of us who are setting the rules widen the plate for ourselves. Somehow we think that we get to live under a different standard, which of course is just hypocrisy and young people see it. Young people see when we say, hey, this is the way it is and this is what you need to do and I'm the boss and you need to obey me and yet we don't do so ourselves. In fact, that's what I think Ephesians 6.4 is about when it talks about fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then it talks about not exasperating your children. I think that's talking about being inconsistent and being hypocritical and defying the message. So Scalinos went on to say a little bit more about this and he even applied it to our government. And what I want to do at the end of the story portion is read for you something that was written by a man who was there that week. He said, I was amazed. At a baseball convention where I expected to learn something about curveballs and bunting and how to run better practices, 
I learned something far more valuable. From an old man with home plate strung around his neck, I had learned something about life, about myself, about my own weaknesses, about my responsibilities as a leader. I had to hold myself and others accountable to that which I knew to be right, lest our families, our faith, our society continue down an undesirable path. The coach concluded by saying, if I am lucky, you will remember one thing from this old coach today, and it is this. If we fail to hold ourselves to a higher standard, a standard of what we know to be right, if we fail to hold our spouses or our children to the same standards, if we are unwilling or unable to provide a consequence when they do not meet the standard, and if our schools or churches and our government fail to hold themselves accountable to those they serve, there is but one thing to look forward to. And at that point, he took the white home plate and turned it over to reveal the dark black backside, and he said, we have dark days ahead. Coach Scalinos died in 2009. He was 91 years old, and he helped a lot of people in his life. But I hope we can understand the simplicity of the message, whether you're a student or a teacher, a child or a parent, wherever you are in that construct, rules have to be set. For the most part, in family and in life, the Word of God, the teachings of Jesus, they set out the parameters, the exact width of the plate that God wants you to work with, and He creates those on purpose. In different organizations you're in, like the school you attend, the rules are set on purpose. And by set, I mean the plate is 17 inches wide. That's what it is. It's been agreed on as such. So as we begin to wind this down, you can see in the title I put three dots and then widen the plate. I put it that way because that's a tendency that we all can fall into. Some of us just aren't good at accepting the same rules that oftentimes we actually expect other people to live by. If you think rules are ungodly, if you think they're unfair, there are great avenues to challenge those. But most of the time, it's about accepting them and doing your best to try and honor them, to try and honor the people who have been charged with enforcing them, or if you're on the authority end of the scale, honoring them yourself as the greatest way of showing others why they're important. But to balance all of that, here's what I want to talk to you about from my own thinking here at the end. I love baseball. I'm a huge Astros fan. I watch at least a portion of practically every game. I love to watch pitching and balls and strikes, the whole thing. So let me ask you this. If someone goes out there to pitch and they throw 12 balls in a row, miss the plate every single time and walk three people, and the manager comes out to the mound, what happens next? Does he haul him off in a black bag and drop him in a hole in the desert? No, I don't think that he does. Does he fire him on the spot? Does he embarrass him in front of all of the fans and other players? He doesn't. Sometimes he just gives him a pep talk. Other times he pulls him out of the game. That's a form of discipline because you are out there to hit the plate and you're missing it. After that, pretty much every time I've ever seen it, five days later, that guy goes out there and pitches again. Usually he does better. Sometimes he's just in a rut and he doesn't do quite as well and he has to get pulled out kind of early again. But guess where he is five days later? He's out there giving it another go. Sometimes despite our best efforts, we just miss the plate. Everybody does. I don't care how old or young you are. Today's episode isn't saying, hey, stop that. You know exactly how wide it is and so you need to hit it every time. That is not at all what we are saying. And in fact, a graceless approach that demands that kind of perfection is just discouraging. 
and ends up forcing people to a place of low expectations because they just give up. It turns out the biggest factor in the future of that major leaguer's career is what he does in the four days between his two starts. He knows he'll never be perfect, but you know what he does every day? He works on it. He doesn't petition for a wider plate or come up with reasons why the rules don't apply to him. He just trains and practices and is disciplined to try to do better. Just like on the hitting side of things, where like the best hitters in the league only go three for ten, perfection is unattainable, but effort that respects the parameters, well, that is noble and respectable and sometimes even legendary. Let me give you an example of that while I wrap up. You ever heard of Nolan Ryan? Nolan Ryan was an amazing pitcher. He threw seven no-hitters. He won 324 games. In his career, he struck out 5,714 people. He is the all-time leader in striking people out, and he's in the Hall of Fame. That guy knew the plate and knew how to work it. But did you also know that he is the all-time leader in walks? He walked 2,795 people. He never tried to change the system. He didn't expect all the rules to bend with him, but he was riddled with imperfection. But he was also jam-packed filled with grit. He forgave himself and so did others, and he ended up turning it into one of the best careers in baseball history. Final message to young people. Honor the rules that have been made for your benefit, especially those of God. There are certainly consequences for failure. I don't want to sugarcoat that. But they are always magnified when we aren't giving our best effort, or we just don't think it's fair, or when we give up. God rewards effort. All good authority figures should see what it looks like when people are trying respectfully, and there should be grace. There is so much grace with God. So I want to finish talking to parents and teachers. Have grace for students who are trying. All of us, each of us, have limitations, and none of us are perfect. But there is no substitute for a good attitude and consistent effort. Let's reward that when people succeed, but let's also reward effort by showing mercy when they don't. And look, I know challenges and shortcomings may make you want to do this, but whether you are a youth or an adult or wherever you are, never give up and fight that temptation to widen the plate. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you enjoyed this program, will you share it with someone you care about? One thing I've learned over these five seasons is that there's nothing as powerful in advertising as word of mouth sharing between friends. Speaking of friends, let me once again commend you to give John Cunningham a call. He and his team have a wide variety of tools to help you use your present budget and life to build towards a more secure and hopeful financial future. Once again, you can reach him at 205-326-7364. And always remember, whatever you choose to do today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, excel still more.